Hello everyone and welcome back to This Could Get Western. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is coming at you right now, probably the best episode I'm going to put out in the recent, you know, certain days and weeks. Uh, I'm with two individuals today who I've known for a relatively long time, back from my FFA days. Uh, Mr. Paxton Dahmer, who hails from the great state of Missouri, uh, or Missouri, which one, whichever, <laughs> Missouri, Missouri which <laughs> depends on where you're at. He just retired as a national FFA officer, had a great year, and uh, we are sitting here at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Convention, actually been having a great time, and everybody's walking around talking like this all the time because they're, <laughs> they're, uh, they have their own radio stations, and we just do this, you know, for fun, so, and they're actually making money at it, correct? And then, uh, to my right, with the, we're in the hotel, we're in a hotel room recording this. Actually, that's because that's how we do it. You know, we're not in a big old sound booth today. Is Wade Yoder? He hails all the way from Colorado, great state there. He's got a beard now. I don't know how I, don't know how I quite feel about it yet, but <laughs> I guess it's uh, I guess it's all right. It does what he he needs it to do for him. But anyway, yeah, I'm glad they're on here with us today, and we're just been having a great time here at NAFE, and uh, a lot of great personalities and people and. I actually came here, and this is the first time I've been here, and I walked in the room like, wow, I don't know anybody here. And then I saw you two jokers, and so um, it's worked out pretty well okay. And, uh, yeah, we're just kind of sitting around thought, well, we need to record a, we need to record an episode with these guys because they just have such great stories and things to say. And, you know, first of all, we'll start with Wade. And uh, say hello, Wade. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> Pretty good. That's good. You got, you got, you got, you got a, you got a voice for this. You need to do this way. Well, I've always been told that I have a face for radio. Yeah. So. <laughs> Me too. That's why I do it. That's why I do it this way. That's why, that's why we're not in front of a camera right now. <laughs> but yeah, Wade, you kind of, you've had a similar, you know, upbringing, FFA experience, and things like that. So kind of, I always like, uh, you know, one of my questions I always ask: How'd you grow up, and you know, things like that. So tell us about what makes Wade Wade. Well, I grew up in northwest Oklahoma, as a matter of fact. My dad was a welder for Brahms Feedlots. They mm -hmm. have a feedlot there north of Shattuck, Oklahoma, and one in Fallout, Texas. Brahms. Brahms. Like where you go get ice cream, Brahms. That is correct. They have a feed yard, their own feed yard. Well, I say feed yard. I guess, suppose it's a dairy. Oh, oh a dairy. Okay. Yeah, they were feeding out some, some Holstein steers there. But we maybe should not have called him beef. I don't know. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are both ag comm majors, so, you know, bear with it. <laughs> Anyhow, Dad was a welder, um, somewhat by accident. <laughs> he, he, he moved to Oklahoma, and he bought a place that had about an, a section of farm ground. And my dad is, is not much of a farmer. And when he and Mom first bought that place, they started running stalker calves on irrigated grass until they realized that that wasn't near as profitable as just farming farm ground. Well, why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they didn't ask my opinion. Uh, so Dad wound up welding for Brahms, and, and he could fix stuff almost as fast as they could tear it up out there at the dairy. Uh, and I was, I don't know if I should admit this, Lyle, but I was homeschooled until about seventh grade. Oh, that's okay, Wade. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Pat. That's okay, Pat. Yeah, we noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I spent I spent most of my days with Dad Weldon. Um, so learned learned a little bit about running your own business and being an entrepreneur. 
Um, Dad made pretty good money in those days. When I was about 10, we moved back to eastern Colorado. That's where the, most of my family has been from. And started running, well, we first started running yearlings uh, on uh, some of that short grass prairie out there. Mm-hmm. We eventually transitioned to a cow-calf operation, and that's what we have today. Um, but I didn't realize it at the time, Lyle, but I was, I was really lucky. I got to grow up just down the road from my grandma and grandpa. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to learn horsemanship and, and cattle handling from some really talented individuals. And that's pretty special. Um, I, I took that for granted when I was a, a young person. I still am young. Yeah, you were like 20, 21 or two yeah. years old. I mean, <laughs> uh, when I was a younger person. <laughs> uh, but it was really special. Um, and I, I really appreciate that time I got to spend on, a, on four generations of, of a family ranch and get to tap into some of that wisdom that's accumulated over the years. Exactly. And you're at college now where? At Oklahoma State. Oklahoma. You're studying ag, ag communications, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So we'll roll on over to Paxton and we'll come back to you, Wade. So Paxton, how'd you grow up? Where are you from? What yeah. makes you you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lyle, I grew up on uh, in Nevada, Missouri, so it's a wide spot in the road, uh, about 100 miles south of here in Kansas City, so I'm not too far from home, but uh, I'm a sixth generation of my family to be involved in agriculture, and I consider myself very blessed for that, um, and because of that, and so the way that I grew up and the opportunities that I had through that, um, but I grew up there in Nevada, um, and so we had a small herd of commercial cattle, uh, and then my family on that side of the family, uh, my father's side of the family, they farm and um, run some cattle as well. And then my mom's side of the family, my mom's father is actually a transplant to Missouri from the state of South Dakota. And mm-hmm. so um, so my mom's side of the family, they're from South Dakota, and they run a ranch up there as well in the Eagle Butte area. And so um, there's ag down both sides. But Lyle, to be honest, growing up, I think the thing that, that really got me going was just the opportunity to show. And, and I know that that's sometimes considered kind of a skewed version of the industry. But for me, that was my main tie to agriculture. I mm-hmm. loved it. Um, those are the people that I met, the people I spent my weekends with, the people that made me who I am. And so um, we showed predominantly hogs and sheep, and uh, earlier on we showed cattle, and then uh, even the occasional goat, albeit that was just two years, and that was plenty of that for me. But, um, but yeah, I grew up uh, running across the country with my family doing that, and it's what brought us together. It's what made us realize uh, just how much we appreciate agriculture and what it does for people. Um, you know, we always, my dad always says that they use the outside of an animal to develop the inside of a kid, and, yeah. and I truly believe in that. And so that's kind of how I grew up uh, and what I enjoyed growing up. Um, now I'm a senior at the University of Missouri studying ag education, leadership, and communications, which is just a fancy, drawn-out way of saying agcom. Um, but, yeah, I'm a senior there. I've got two semesters left and excited to see what comes next. A master's, probably. Yeah, I would like to say so. And so. then a PhD, I'm guessing. I don't know about that, but I maybe. think you'll just get too lazy to stop, is there what I... Yeah. You know, you don't know what else to do, so you just keep going in school. Yeah, you'll be like, I got no idea what I want to do. I guess I'll just stay here and yeah, absolutely. figure out what else. And, you know, the thing is, you both had tremendous FFA experiences, you know, and, and, and I, you know, we're at NAFB, and you come to a lot of this. And, heck, the president-elect, Spencer Chase for NAFB, is a former state officer from South Dakota, you know. And obviously, with you, we want to talk about our, our FFA backgrounds a lot. And, and y'all were in it for like 100 years. And so <laughs> I, I even remember it when we were state officers seeing both of you. But we never really interacted that much because y'all looked at me like I was a peasant. But anyway, uh, <laughs> from Colorado and Missouri, anyway. But <laughs> Never trust somebody from New Mexico. Uh, good, good strategy there, Wade. You, only, you can trust our food. There you go. Green I, I well, can guarantee that. Fair enough. 
<laughs> can guarantee that. But we'll come back to you, Wade. Is you know, tell us about your FFA experience because you were, you know, strong ag background, kind of an old soul personality, and you know, I think that's why the three of us really jive is because we're kind of eighty-two years old at heart, anyway, <laughs> and so live like we're in nineteen fifty-two. Any, but you know, have that kind of mentality. But tell us about your FFA experience and what really got you involved because you're a fairly conversational person, but uh, not really just you know, bubbly and out in the crowd, you know, and things like that. More of a stoic kind of person. And so tell us about your FFA experience and what it did for you. Well, like Paxton, I grew up in a wide spot in the road, um, Carville, Colorado. Everybody asks me what the population is. I can't tell them because they quit keeping track in 1953. <laughs> um, where we stayed. Yeah, where we live. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but Carville is a, is a really unique community. It's a, a group of people that have either family ties there or they work at the school. And when I got into FFA, I had not seen much of the world outside of Carville. Um, and it was really good for me. Through FFA, I got to go really all over the United States. Uh, within a few years, I had been to Louisville, I'd been to Indianapolis, I'd been to Washington, D.C., and it really opened my eyes as to what the possibilities were. You know, we talked about school. I haven't always been a big fan of, of higher education. Um, but it was FFA that set me on a track to an ag communications degree. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget, I was a senior, uh, uh, excuse me, I was a sophomore in high school. And I had been at National FFA Convention competing. And I came home and told my dad, I said, I think I want to go to college for ag communications. He looked at me dead in the eye. He said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> My granddad would be the same way. He go, you're doing what? Ag what? Telling stories? <laughs> you're going to college. <laughs> but it was really good for me. It, it, it opened my eyes to a lot more of the world. And when I look at a lot of young people today, I think we all get too wrapped up into our own little worlds. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I've, I've seen that much of the world. There's a lot I don't know. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the, the opportunity to get to see other cultures and people from other communities and people from other backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I feel like it really made me a, a more rounded person and a more marketable person in the job place. Mm -hmm. And most of that opportunity was due to the experiences I had through FFA. And that beard will definitely help out in the future way. <laughs> you know, when I first met him, I didn't think he'd grow a beard like that. I didn't think he would either. Can you grow a beard like that? <laughs> if I could, I would. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll throw it over to you, Pax, and tell us about, you know, because your FFA experience, too, is really kind of, well, I, I guess uh, not ended, but it's, you know, not what it was yeah. as compared to three weeks ago. <laughs> and so, yeah, tell us about tell us about that. You've been in it, you know, like, I don't know, 13 years, so. <laughs> yeah, so Nevada... Um, Nevada, yeah. yeah. Nevada, Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Nevada, Missouri. And, you know, Missouri. They say Missouri. And Missouri. Nevada, we can't even pronounce the state of Nevada, right? We call it Nevada. But, Nevada. Um, but yeah, so they're in Nevada. We've got a junior program that uh, it's not recognized by the state, but we have a junior program. So I got started pretty early, um, which was a blessing and a curse. Um, a blessing for the simple fact that I got the chance to start um, down a path that ended up being pretty darn cool. Uh, but a curse at the same time because it also uh, kind of exposed me to some of those things that uh, made me bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and um, 
to be completely honest with you, almost exhausted me as a middle schooler, but uh, it was pretty cool, uh, all joking aside. And so um, had that junior program experience, and then um, that is what kept me going uh, coming into high school, uh, the fact that I'd had that experience because I knew what it had to offer. Um, even though it wasn't recognized by the state, I had the opportunity to travel to some livestock judging contests and things like that. Uh, and to be honest, livestock judging was really what got us into it. Uh, showing and judging was why we were in 4-H and ultimately why we are in FFA to start anyways. And so um, did a lot of that in FFA. And I think that that really helped me um, in developing connections across the country, going to judging camps, things like that, um, and even the people that you compete against. Uh, we were pretty fortunate in the judging arena. Um, but I think a lot of that is just simply for the fact that people poured into me and I got to make those connections. And so um, I think that that honestly, uh, when you come from a background of judging uh, and you kind of get that bubbly personality, so to speak, that kind of sets you up for a, uh, for a path to go into state office and things like that. And so um, kept those connections, stayed pretty uh, well acquainted with those people and uh, really rolled into a state office position and, and really enjoyed that where I got the chance to meet Lyle and Wade, uh, seems like 18 years ago. We're sorry. Uh, yeah, I know. And life's just been downhill ever since. That's the end of the story. No, no. But uh, it was a good opportunity to, like Wade said, get to see some people, uh, get to meet some people where they're at and just talk to them, uh, learn their stories, figure out what makes them tick. Uh, and that's pretty darn neat uh, when you get the opportunity to do that. And got the chance to do it last year as a national officer as well. Um, it was a blessing. Um, but yeah, just really, really cool opportunity to serve some really, really cool students that uh, ultimately they're the future of agriculture. And, you know, I believe in that. I know it sounds cliche. Everybody says that. Uh, but I think it sounds cliche for a reason, uh, because it's true. And so getting to hear their stories and, and realize that agriculture does have a pretty bright future was pretty neat. And the most scariest and exciting part about like that statement is, we're it. Yep. Like, we're the future of that. And you're kind of like, whoa, better not mess this up. <laughs> uh, you, know? you know, we might. <laughs> we might. <laughs> the world is led by those who show up, and the people that are showing up today might not have any clue what's going on. And they don't always like it when we show up, so I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, you know... At NAFB, and we've seen, which you, you got a bunch of farm broadcasters. You, and a lot of these guys uh, are, are, you know, over, well, they're a lot older than we are, 50, 60, closer to 70 years old. And you think about where the industry's even going there. Our industry's changing in the fact with social media. And that's a conversation that comes up a lot in agriculture today. They say 75% of all ag media is negative. But uh, also, you know, I don't know, 90% of all statistics are made up, including this one. So um, the question is, you think that statement is true? I mean, let's Google anything in agriculture right now. Do you think uh, heads or tails, would the headline be negative or positive? You know what? I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to Google agriculture right now. And Lyle, I think we're communicating in an echo chamber, to be completely honest. Um, we've got to do better across the board, all of us. Um, you know, we do really, really good at preaching our story to the people that know our story because they've lived our story. Um, we've got to do better at reaching out, finding people that haven't, and, and that's where we're going to make real progress in this. And I think we want to see the future improve. We've got to find ways to connect to those, and it's hard to do. Wade, would you agree? I, I would completely agree. And so, yeah, I don't know how to do it, but that's what we've got to do right now. All right, actually, the top headline was positive. North, no, no way. Bayer announces partnership with Microsoft to develop agriculture-focused technology tools. That's positive kind of, I think, right? Yeah, right. Sure. That should help us out. So, uh, yeah, when you drift into those conversations, too, is that we, we say all the time how we want to connect better to the consumer, and we want to connect better to the average person who is not involved in agriculture. Well, how can we say that, especially when they eat every day? And so, you, you know, 
I would assume, you know, I've always thought too, if they eat every day and they got to be a part of ag, you know, they're, they're a part of that terminal chain, you know, at the end of the line where they're eating every day. So we, you know, what do you, what do you both try to do? And we can have a conversation about this, go back and forth. What do y'all try to do every day to ensure that, you know, agriculture receives a positive, a positive, uh, opinion or, uh, people don't have this preconceived notion of what they think ag is, but it's just like today when we were at the restaurant, we were talking about Rocky Mountain oysters. How do you go about having that conversation with somebody, uh, who may not know what it is? And maybe not, you maybe have some negative feedback from them. So y'all tell me how that conversation occurs. How do you do that? Wade, you want to start her off? Uh, I suppose. (laughs) I think one thing that is a personal pet peeve of mine is the hashtag thank a farmer campaigns. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's that gets controversial because I, I know a lot of our a lot of the people in our industry don't feel like they get the recognition they deserve. And I tend to agree with them. But the fact of the matter is with any market, the producer is the servant of the consumer. I I produce beef cattle. I have for a few years, my family has for nearly a hundred years. If the consumer doesn't want our product, we need to change what we're doing if we're going to stay in business. And I have a little bit of a hard time saying that because I came from a family that was very traditional, the family that stuck to their guns and they didn't change what they believed for anybody. And I can agree with that too, but I think there's a balance there. And I feel like the way we connect with our consumer today is with a little bit of gratitude. We say, hey, thank you for choosing U.S. beef. Mm-hmm. You know, we really appreciate it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote a cliche line, but people don't buy what we do. They buy why we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if I can walk up to any consumer in any grocery store in the United States and say, hey, thank you for choosing U.S. beef. My family's been doing that for nearly 100 years, and we really appreciate what you've, your contribution to what my family has done is to, and to what my family will hopefully do in the future. I think we communicate that with gratitude, and I think we communicate it with absolute genuineness. People can smell a disingenuous person from a mile away. Mm-hmm. I, I can smell Paxson right now. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know if it's that or if it's the travel. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but no, I think if if we're just being dramatic, our consumer is exposed to so much drama on a daily basis. Oh yeah. That it's not even funny. We need to we need to be really straightforward and honest with our consumer. And sometimes the fact of the matter is, you know what? I do enjoy eating Rocky Mountain oysters. <laughs> yeah. And and I don't like to waste food. And by golly, that variety meat is a is a high spot in my diet. Yeah. Who's going to argue with that? Right. Some people won't like it, but that's the way it is, and you can't argue with the facts. What about the atrocious things that people see every day anyway? 
like on the news. And you're like, well, I tell them <laughs> how Rocky Mountain oysters are processed and how they come about. And they're like, oh, my Lord, cannot believe. But, oh, they'll go and, you know, listen to rap. I mean, that's just what I think about it. It's like, for, hey, for anybody listening on this podcast that listens to rap, I don't hate rap. I'm just, you know, making an analogy. <laughs> but, uh, all right, now, Paxton, how do, you, how do you have that conversation? Yeah, you know, I echo everything Wade said. Um, very good thoughts and sentiments there. Um, but I also think, you know, we've got a lot of progress to be made and um, in certain areas. And one of those I think is like local food systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think, you know, the people that are connected to ag, the people that believe in ag, the people that we're not really having trouble with, those ones are still going to buy our products and they're going to be just fine. But if we find a place to really connect with those people that aren't, um, connected to ag or don't think they're connected anyways, even mm-hmm. though they are, um, and the ones that we really need to make that progress with, I think we've got a lot of room to grow in terms of local food systems and community supported ag programs. Um, you know, I think of, in my college town of Columbia, there's a, a program downtown. Uh, it's actually a past state officer is uh, one of the owners of it, and he and his wife, uh, they buy all their products in Missouri. They're all local, and you can sign up for different programs where they'll you know, send a basket to your house that's full of Missouri-grown products once a week uh, in, in season and off season. And uh, they've even found ways to take uh, you know, SNAP recipients and find ways to work them into that program as well. But in all of those, there's different handouts that talk about Missouri agriculture and U.S. agriculture and what it does. And, and it's all very people-focused, focusing on the stories of the, the producers and, and why they do what they do. And kind of like Wade talked about, his family's done that for 100 years. It's stories like that. And, and I think that local, local food system, that community-supported agriculture system and model, I think it provides a unique opportunity to really have that outreach directly right away from the start. Um, and so I think there's a lot of room to grow there. Uh, you know, it's not something that's going to work in every community, and I completely understand that. But I think that um, it's interesting to see what that can do and the possibilities for growth there. And I think that that might be something we could tap into additionally into the future uh, to continue making that progress. I think people like that. I think they like that type of connection, yeah. human relation. And I, I have this theory, too, is that there's never been a time in history where I think there's been more people on Earth yet were so unconnected not from a digital standpoint but from a physical or emotional or you know empathetic standpoint and i think people really appreciate it when they know it's like to your point wade you talk about you know gratitude thanking somebody for purchasing you know beef that is uh home raised and they 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 know exactly what went into it and the work that occurred and and you know what may have been a really droughty summer and it may have been a may have been a really hard winter but I think people, if they know that story of what it took to bring that uh, bring that beef from gate to plate, then I think it goes a long way with people, regardless of whether or not they're involved in the agriculture industry or not. And so, you know, that brings me to my next point. What's the importance? You know, we got 200 people here, and they're all in the ballroom downstairs. And, they have, you know, a lot of everybody, you know, pretty well knows each other here. And we talk about how small ag really is in a community. And I think we can kind of talk about this from our... FFA experiences, there's nowhere in the nation where we really go that there's not someone in the region that we don't know, you know, or at least kind of, you know, or, you know, have met them or heard of them or something like that. And when you hear FFA or something like that, you immediately know, but like us young guys, we come to these deals so we can gain that professional experience and, uh, and also know those kind of people that are all over the region. And so even though it's such a small community, they reach so many people. So from your personal perspective, what's the importance of an event you know, or the people involved with National Association of Foreign Broadcasters? You know, I think when you come together, um, you can develop some really clear goals as to what comes next. And so 
um, you know, at any type of a convention, any type of an event where they come together and they're talking about things they do, yeah, there's some fellowship involved in it and everybody catches up and it's nice to do that. I think that's really important. Um, but I think that there's something to be said about these conventions because they can develop clear goals as to what comes next. And so you can realign your strategies, you can look at the, your neighbor, maybe your, comp uh, your competition, your competitor on down the road, and you can figure out what they're doing and adjust your sales accordingly so that you can do um, what you want to do, what you aim at doing uh, to the best of your ability. And so I think you know, when you look at the purpose of something like an NAFB convention, um, that's what comes to mind is those clear goals, understanding what you're doing, why you're doing it, and figuring out ways to adjust your sales and do it better. Uh, because let's be real, nobody has it completely figured out. We're adjusting as we go, especially in a time where we're coming out of this pandemic. And, um, you know, I think that that's a really, really important piece of things like this. Exactly. What do you think, Wade? I, I think Paxton makes some really good points. I think the biggest fault that I see in most communications that are ag-related today is we don't know why we're doing it. Um, I'm not a big fan of social media. I think that tool has been overused, and I think that most people are on social media just because it's the hip thing to do. Social media can be an, an incredible tool, don't get me wrong. You can connect to anybody in the world that has a very specific age, interest, and a very specific profile and we can do that now with social media the the amount of connectivity that we can have when we are marketing to a specific audience is unprecedented but with that power comes responsibility and we can't just be on social media because it's the hip thing to do. If we're going to be on social media, we need to know what we're doing and why we're doing it. And mm -hmm. we need to, to expound that purpose that Paxton talked about very clearly. Anymore, everybody has the ability to be a publisher. Mm -hmm. I, I remember hearing some mentors of mine talk about how you don't piss off the person who buys ink in a 50-gallon barrel. <laughs> they were talking about the newspaper industries, and the newspaper had a large amount of power because they controlled public perception. Mm -hmm. Well, now anybody has that ability through social media. And if you're just on social media to be hip, well, then you, I think you really need to recalculate why you're there. If you have a specific message and you have a specific audience... By all means, use the tools that are available to you to make your business profitable. But if you're just on social media to be hip, maybe you ought to think about getting off of it mm -hmm. and focusing more on face-to-face -face conversations. That's just my opinion. Yeah, it's true. Anybody can be a podcast host, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what, you know, there's truths you find out in life, and that's one of my truths. <laughs> And it, it's interesting to note, Wade, you don't even have, you're not even on social media that much. You have a flip phone. I do. The man's got a flip phone. Hey, don't tell his boss. And that's not such a bad idea, I don't think. Some days I just want to throw mine in the pond. And you know what? I, I, I listened to this deal the other day about, you know, being a high-performance person. Um, and what he talked about is the, the ability to stay off the phone and continue to work and work and work and and uh, put in those long hours and things like that. And he and he he talked about 
in the video how easy it was for him to, how his productivity levels rose because of being off the phone all the time. And I'm on the phone a lot. I mean, I realize that. You, ever, you know, you don't even stand, you ever stand in line, like grocery store or anything like that? Get on the phone. And you sit and wait for, you just got to be connected all the time. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if that habit's good or bad or psychological or what it's done to us. Or, I mean, I think about what has it done to our generation? And um, there's influencers and all that now and social media influencers and things like that. But I think about what about when the mainframe goes down one day and all of a sudden you're a social media influencer who has no job. You know, like, what are you going to do? Wade can't be a social media influencer. He's got a flip phone. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I want a flip phone. That's what I'm going to I think about doing that all the time. But has there come a point, I think, too, maybe, um, what's the detriment to us maybe in ag? Because in ag, too, I think about, you we're always about capturing the moment and and keeping your hands to your work and things like that. And I don't, I just don't, I don't know. I, I, to your point, Wade, I, I'm not the biggest fan of social media all the time. And I don't want to see our ag community, community just owned by that, by the fact that if we're not, if we are not active on social media all the time, does that mean the public's going to turn against us? You know, what are your thoughts? It is a tool, mm-hmm. um, and it has a lot of ability. You know, I I have a welder. It is a tool, and I can stick pieces of metal together stronger than they would be otherwise. Mm-hmm. Or I can also just make a bunch of goop on a piece of pipe. <laughs> We're not... Here's the thing, and this is what I consider to be a universal truth. We're not owned by anything unless we let ourselves be. That's good. Yeah, it's really good. We, we can choose to say, you know what, our business strategy is focused on how much engagement we get on social media. And I know businesses that operate like that, and I know some of them are very successful. We can also choose to say our business, our success is based off of how many people we can develop really deep interpersonal connections with. And those businesses are successful, too. It's a tool. Use it how you will. It's no better than anything else. It's just a tool. Exactly. What do you think, Paxton? Yeah, I mean, I think we talk about social media influencers. And if you go to Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever you're on, and you look at the influencers that have 10, 15 million followers, how many of them are actually positively contributing to society? Because I don't think it's very many. Um, yeah, where are they going to live followers? I don't know. I don't know if they like, I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. I want one I mean, of those jobs like them where you get paid to breathe. Because <laughs> maybe I'll get there. But, but well, thank people at the grocery store when they buy your steak. Yeah, true. there you go. <laughs> yeah, they just, I don't know. They don't, it seems like they don't positively contribute much to society. Um, but I do think when you look at what we consider to be ag influencers, people that sometimes they have 10, 15,000 followers, which is obviously um, tiny compared to some of those people that are out there with millions and millions of followers. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, within they've got ten or 15,000 followers. That's a pretty good following in agriculture. Um, and I think you look at that type of an influencer and they're doing good things. They're sharing the people side of agriculture, which is what people can connect with. Um, and so I think, yeah, like to Wade's point, it's a tool. Um, but social media in general, yeah, it can, it can drag people down. I mean, you look at like I said, those influencers that aren't doing anything good with it necessarily, just sharing things that make people compare themselves and one another, uh, that, I mean, that's not a good thing. Um, 
And so I guess my concern is where does agriculture fall in that mix? Uh, do you use a personal page to promote agriculture or do you develop a page that just promotes agriculture entirely? Um, you know, how much of that do you share on your personal page versus a business page? And um, yeah, there's just there's so many different ways to look at that and, and to figure out the best way to utilize social media um, and use it as a tool, like Wade mentioned, rather than just something that consumes your life and consumes our industry. Sorry, that's probably talking in circles, but... There it is. I think one person who really does it right is Courtney Dehoff. Yes. Who spoke yes. at national convention. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the the thing about it, too, is like you look at the way me and Wade dress. I mean, we're we're boots and cowboy hat mm-hmm. kind of guys. I haven't roped or ride, rode a horse and I don't know how. I mean, it's a couple of years. But people are always kind of intrigued by that. Like, we come here, it's business casual. Like, what are we in? We're in slacks. I was in jeans, you know, jeans. And, and uh, I don't know. I think the image still intrigues people. And I think the images we portray intrigue people still because they think, you know, we're a part of that lifestyle, which we are as much as we can be. You know, like I'm in Las Cruces, you're in Stillwater, and uh, you're in Columbia, right? Yes. Paxton, yeah. So, you know, we try to portray that image as best we can. And I think, you know, our attitudes and the way in which we, we present ourselves goes a long way in that kind of image. But it's interesting to me, Wade, that you're an ad comm major, but it seems like so many ad comm majors they're so connected all the time and so what separates you from like what what are you doing right now for the industry to you know be be a communicator for it i'll take more quality and less quantity any day that's good write that down back yeah. <laughs> write that down Apply that to my own life <laughs> make that a note you're yeah. tweet that right now <laughs> i think well, it, I'm a, a big fan of Ronald Reagan. Well, me too. And he said that the greatest leaders aren't the people who do great things. They are the people who get others to do great things. I can't count the number of times I have been down in my life that somebody has come along and encouraged me or, or influenced me or guided me to something better. And I just want to pass that forward. Yeah. I don't want to be famous. Good Lord, I mean, if people really got to digging into my background, they'd, they'd be shocked. Uh, rumor has it, you know, my last name is Yoder. Rumor has it that we got kicked out of the Mennonite church a while back. But anyhow. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I had money on that one. God, dang it, I knew it. I knew, you know, well, I owe Pax some 20 bucks now, but that's okay. <laughs> anyhow. The beard gave it away. The beard gave it away. <laughs> it's genetic. Um, I think, I think we can do a much better job. Well, I'm going to talk in circles here now, too. The Greeks had two different ideas of knowledge. They had knowledge that you gained from other people, and they had experiential knowledge. Mm-hmm. They called that epinosis. And epinosis was the, the supreme form of knowledge, is what the Greeks considered. I will tell you what. This summer, I, we had a cow with foot rot. Mm-hmm. This is about a 1,500-pound a, a red Angus cow up in northern Colorado. And we had to treat her. We were out in the pasture. We decided it was going to be better for that cow just to treat her out in the pasture than to bring her all the way back to the, the corrals and the facilities at home. And so I put a head loop on her. And I did what most every 
cowboy shouldn't do. I looked down at my saddle horn when I went to Dally. Yeah. And I missed that Dally like nobody's business. Ooh. My horse went right, or my horse went left, that cow went right, and that rope went right through my hands, and it took all five of my fingerprints off of my right hand. I was sore for I don't know how long. I had tape on all five of my fingers. I have not missed a dally since. There you that, go. that cured me of, of looking down at my saddle horn. Good judgment comes from experience. <laughs> and a lot of that comes from what? Bad judgment. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so to my point, I think nobody's immune from bad experiences mm -hmm. or bad judgment. As you, as you said, let's just, let's own it. Say, you know what? I made a mistake. I looked down at my saddle horn, mm -hmm. or I said something I shouldn't have, or I lost my temper. Mm -hmm. And then let's, let's get better and go on. Because we're humans. We make mistakes. And everybody knows that we're humans and we make mistakes, whether we pretend like we're perfect or not. So let's just, let's just go on. Let's own up to our mistakes and, and try to be better tomorrow. Yeah, nothing wrong with having some grace with each other. And if you want to find grace, you don't go to social media. No. Yeah, exactly. There, there are a bunch of meanies on there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's your thoughts, Paxton? And then we'll talk about, you know, this, this is a Western lifestyle podcast. I want to hear about y'all wildest experiences. So if, if missing your dally, we want, to, we want to hear more than that. Wait, so we'll go to Paxton to hear what his answer is. and then. Yeah, Lyle, I'm going to do what I'm not supposed to do. Remind me the question. Oh, what were we talking about, Wade? Yeah, I, I I remember something about like what we're talking about, like how we're. Oh yeah, how do you how do you okay. communicate on a daily basis? Okay. And... I just wanted to make sure I was still on the right track with it. Yeah, you know, I think right now I'm kind of in a weird position because I'm a college kid, and um, you know, as college kids, you don't really. It's not like you have a giant following. It's not like you're invited to speak at giant conferences all the time, things like that. And so, um, you, you know, might think, be. Well, maybe if I'm Jerry Litton. You are right now. <laughs> you're Jerry Litton. Yeah, you're. Jerry. <laughs> but, oh, that's a story for another time. There. That is. Um, <laughs> Man, we could do an episode just on him. We could. Anywho. Uh, we will. Yeah. We'll come back to it. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, as a college kid, you have a pretty unique opportunity right in front of you, though, because, um, you know, I don't know about your college campuses. I haven't been to them. But um, what I can say is that on the University of Missouri campus, there's a whole lot more people that have no idea about anything agriculture related than there mm -hmm. are people that do. And, uh, you know, we're pretty uniquely situated where our College of Ag is, right there on the corner that's about the busiest corner on campus, and people walk by all the time. And um, You know, as college students, you have a pretty unique opportunity because, one, they're developing their own sets of ideas um, and values while they're at college. These people that are coming to college from different cities or even maybe they're from a rural area but still have no uh, you know, personal tie to agriculture beyond their clothes and their food and their fuel. Um, but when those people are walking by your college, when they're walking by that corner, when they're walking by uh, you as you're heading to class, it's a pretty unique opportunity to, to set up a booth for a class, uh, to set up a booth for a club. And, uh, you know, I see that coming to fruition on Mizzou's campus a lot, um, especially now. Um, you know, there's this one corner right there by the busiest corner on campus, and there's all the time some kind of a booth set up. Um, you know, sometimes like the dairy club will bring a dairy calf and have them sit out there and they can come pet the calf and, and then they learn about the industry while they're there. And those are the types of things that are really making cool outreach because those students, like I said, are learning what they like. They're developing opinions while they're at college um, if they haven't already decided their opinions anyways. And so it's a good chance to, to catch them while you still can because uh, I think, you know, as soon as they get out of college, uh, they're going to go out, they're going to be a consumer, they're going to be the ones purchasing their food, purchasing their clothes, their fuel, all of that good stuff. Um, and their minds are made up at that point. And it's really hard to change that, but if you can catch them at that, that point right there. And so, you know, the three of us were all college students at this point, so we're at a pretty unique opportunity to be a everyday advocate, so to speak, said with air quotes, 
um, right there on our campuses, and I think that that's a really cool place to make some progress. And it's the little things. Yeah. I think I think those things really go a long way yeah. with a lot of people, which, it, you know, it, it kind of surprises me, even a state like Missouri that's, you know, green and all ag, that, you know, you have a variety of people who come in and may not know as much and things like that. But, you know what, I think, I, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag here a little bit, I think the industry recently of late has done a really we've done a really good job with our outreach in in the in recent years Mm -hmm. and i think the more people i come in contact with you know on a daily basis the average consumer isn't dumb i mean you come in contact with a lot of them who i'm done i'm dumb about some things (laughs) like aerospace engineering somebody comes to talk to talk to me about that what am i going to know about that but i I think uh, there's a basic understanding amongst a growing number of the population about where their food comes from how it's grown and uh, and they 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 understand more because of social media about the people who are who are a part of that industry. I think TikTok. You look at all the funny people who are on TikTok who are in ag. I think that shows a human side of things, also about what else is you know going on. But you know what, guys, we can talk about this forever. But I want to know about some of your wild experiences. You know, if you know, Wade, if you want to go first, I know you interned with R.A. Brown Ranch, and uh, <laughs> and was it this summer? Uh, fall of. 20. Oh, fall of, okay, 20. So, yeah, tell us about, <laughs> uh, tell us about that. What, what happened there? Well, the R.A. Brown Ranch was a, a neat experience for me. I grew up on a commercial cow-calf operation, mm-hmm. and when I worked for R.A. Brown Ranch, that was the first time I had worked for a seed stock operation, and more than that, we had, at any point throughout the year, a, between six or 800 yearling bulls in a yard they tore everything up (laughs) Uh, i i don't know why this happens to me while it's happened a couple of times i always get stuck with the horse that looked really promising at about three years old and then nobody touched until they were about six years old and they developed all sorts of bad habits in the meantime. <laughs> Humans that way too, yeah. I think. <laughs> they still haven't wrote me a mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck with them. <laughs> I, I rode a horse named George, and I don't know why he was named George. That was his name. George was a sorrel horse. He was about six years old. Um, had a lot of heart. Uh-huh. He had a big motor, and he didn't really like to listen to instruction which is maybe why I got him. I think we were maybe too alike for <laughs> for most people. George would, uh, he had a lot of talent. If, if you got in an alleyway or a feed pen and you were trying to sort some of them yearling bulls out and uh-huh. they, were, they were being a little bit cantankerous, he could break down and, and work. Wow. But he would down there leave you in the dirt when he did so. <laughs> and if you, ever, if you ever sunk spurs to him, he would run away. Yeah, uh, which is interesting. There in Throckmorton, Texas, we have a lot of mesquite and we have a lot of rocks. Yeah, coming from eastern Colorado, where we don't have much of anything, mm-hmm. that was a that was a transition. So he about scraped me off on a mesquite tree a time or two. I remember one day we were getting close to bull sale, and I knew, you know, bull sales. That's one of two paydays for the year. Right at the R.I. Brown Ranch, mm-hmm. that is when we make all of our money. And on that one day, everything needs to be right. And by golly, George was being a knothead. And so we took him out to... uh, I didn't have any big wide open space to take him and just work him out, except for one 
field. We had cleared it of all the mesquite trees and planted it back to Bermuda grass. And it was, I don't know how big it was, probably, probably 140 acres. One day he was being cantankerous and it was getting close to sale. I just took him out there and let him run. I said, you know what, George, if you're going to just run away, we're just... We're just going to run away until you decide it's not fun to run away anymore. There you go. Uh, that was how I drew up anyway. And so we made about four laps around this, this cleared area. The problem was we had been planning to plumb a water pipeline into an expansion of the feed yards. I can already see how this is going to go. <laughs> the trench for that water feed line. Uh, I told you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> ran completely through the middle of this 140 acres. <laughs> and we had we had been really ambitious. We had gone out and dug that trench in record time. And then we had left it open and not laid pipeline for about two months. Yeah, I got a story too. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't go all the way down. Um, we, I kept my seat and, and George didn't go all the way to the ground, but we did hang a foot in that, in that trench Ooh. at about the fourth lap around. So. And then he blew up. No, you had to eat it. That was it. At, at that point, <laughs> at that point, George was tired enough that he, he just went on. <laughs> we had a similar experience in my hometown. I was riding on a four wheeler one time and we were actually gathering cattle too. And, and, uh, it had to be, it was this last summer actually, there was a big old trench that was dug to lay a water line also and and uh I, w- I was going pretty dang quick on this four wheeler i mean it's 30 35 miles an hour across mm-hmm. this pasture which really could tear stuff up but you know i was feeling froggy anyway i, I crossed that trench and uh, turned that four wheeler over and it-, it did about you know one cartwheel and and laid right there and then i i turned it back it's amazing how much strength you- strength you got when the adrenaline <laughs> really going yeah and so i turned it back over and uh i was gonna fire back up I thought wow this would be a wonder if it fires up. You know what happened? It didn't fire up right away, but I waited about five minutes, and finally it kind of it kind of fired up and dodged that little bullet there. But yeah, it'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we don't finish the water line, you know, and just leave it there, <laughs> leave a trench there because yep. that's that's great. But we'll go to you, Paxton, and uh, that'll be our kind of our last story for yep. this episode. Yeah, you know, uh, in Missouri, I guess we pride ourselves on the fact that uh, we're about as midwestern as it comes, uh, the culture, the people, everything about it, and so. It's not much of a Western lifestyle that we live here, but... Uh, oh, that's okay. It, it makes some funny we stories. We don't discriminate, Paxton. Go and ahead. so, my mother, God bless her, wonderful woman, uh, you know, she put up with me, so that says a lot uh, enough. Anyways. She did good. Yeah, Thank yeah, God. Exactly. Yeah, some of the stories. Whew. But um, she, uh, God bless her, she bought this darn donkey last year. and um, Every good story starts with that. Yeah, yeah so, coyotes <laughs> are pretty thick or whatever. She thinks it's going to be good for the calves. So, we buy this donkey, and this thing, I kid you not, I mean, I've never seen something that could not stand to be close to a human quite like that i mean it's i guess i know some people that are about like that but um, i mean this thing absolutely psychotic and so um i was home for thanksgiving break and i thought well this is a perfect opportunity and so i get on the ranger and um i go out here and i chase this thing in and i finally get it locked up in a pen in uh, in the barn and i get this thing in and i'm destined uh you know during this week i'm gonna get this thing i'm gonna get this thing broke and so uh you know i spent the week uh, doing that and i finally i roped him um, I'm not good at roping, just to throw that out there, but I get him in there and I lock him in the barn and as close to quarters as I possibly can, throw a rope around his neck. It gets caught around his leg instead of his neck, um, but I get him wrapped around this pole in the pole barn and, and I get in there and I finally get a halter around him and I get him tied up. 
and I call my grandpa. My grandpa's a retired racehorse jockey, a little background. He knows um, what he's doing. Though. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. And he wasn't in town, uh, unfortunately. Otherwise, he would have just come over and helped me. But he's like, ah, here's what you got to do. You got to get this bag and tie it to a stick and shake it around. He's like, we used to do that with racehorses in South Dakota all the time. And you shake it around, touch him, hit him with it, do everything you can, and get the spooks out. Genius, right? Um, so I get him tied up, and uh, here I am behind a panel for good measures. The panel drops, but I've got this. I couldn't find a sack, and I didn't want to leave him tied up because I thought he'd hang himself because he was about to take down the barn. Um, so I get this dog food sack that I find, <laughs> and, and I tie it to the end of a show stick, a cattle show stick. And I take it, I really don't know what I'm doing, and I really have no idea um, how to go about this. So I take this sack, and I just sling it at him. And the sack goes off and hits him on the head, and it's, like, draped over his head. And so he just goes nuts and starts kicking. Oh, God. And so I've got to get up there, and he's about to hang himself at this point. I don't know what to do. I'm home alone. Uh, and so I really have no idea what to do. So I finally, I kind of crawl up around. There's panels against the wall of this pole barn, and I climb up around, and I'm, like, up above him as he's trying to take me. And, and I did get him untied. Uh, I left the halter on him because there was no way I was going to do that. But, man, I had bruises up my leg. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, yeah. Like I said, we're not much for the Western lifestyle, but there is some, uh, some good old redneck Missouri stuff that <laughs> if it would have just been filmed, I promise you, I'd, I wouldn't be sitting here because I'd be viral somewhere. I'd be one of those influencers that I talked trash on earlier. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny? I just, I just in, in my mind, saw everything you were talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. I, know, I mean, I'm like a little bitty shrimpy kid. And I, yeah, I just, I thought, oh, heavens, what have I done? Oh, dear God. But needless to say, the donkey, he did get broke. I could lead him around for a while. Um, and then he chased the calf still, so we did get rid of him. But uh, <laughs> sad day, a lot of work, a lot of bruises for nothing. But. The great donkey trainer of Missouri. There we go. Paxton Dahmer. Made of many hats. You know, when I think about it realistically, too, let's say we have families and kids one day. Are we going to be any smarter than we are now? I really think we're going to pull the same. It's going to decline. We're going to be worse. I mean, I really think. I mean, we don't change. We're just, <laughs> we we get, you know, we get a win once in a while, and then, you know, we'll be okay. But uh, anyway, I want to thank you, too, for being on here. It's been a funny conversation. And uh, it's just what y'all are doing for the ag industry, and particularly, uh, you know, we owe a lot of that to FFA. And. A lot of that to our, you know, the colleges we're going to right now, you know, OSU and, uh, you're, are you MSU? MU. MU. Yes. No, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Everybody, don't write letters. It's MU. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> hey, you know, it's all the same. Do not rush the stage. It's MU. <laughs> yeah, we're in good shape. Um, and then I'm at, you know, New Mexico State, go Aggies. We got the crap beat out of us at, with, uh, at Alabama the other day, but it's all right. We're rolling. We'll be all right. <laughs> but I want to thank everybody for being or tuning into this episode of this could get Western. Been a great time, boys. Thanks for being on here. Yeah, thanks for we'll having catch us. You, we'll catch you next time. If you ever come to my neck of the woods or I go over there, I come to Oklahoma once in a while, Wade. Maybe you'll, you know, maybe let me sleep on your couch or something one of these days. Yeah, give me a holler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, to everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.